Hello, I'm Rebecca, the founder of Trio, and welcome to Pep Talks with Trio. Trio is the leading solution for workplaces to support their people during every life transition, from starting a family to retiring, and every life event in between. On Pep Talks with Trio, we chat to our expert partners for advice on how to best navigate these common, complex, and often messy life stages that happen during our working career. Keep listening as we connect the dots between life and work with the simple aim of education and empowerment. After all, life happens at work. Today on Pep Talks with Trio, we're speaking with Catherine and Carly, the founders of Transforming Tribes. We'll be discussing the fallout of the Great Resignation and the war on talent that has resulted. Welcome, Kat and Carly. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you Please, so could you tell us a little bit about yourselves and the work that you do at Transforming Tribes? Over to you, Kat. Thank you so much for having us, Beck. It's really exciting to be here. Uh, look, I mean, my background, I'm sure Carly will also share a bit about her own, is really just radical transformation over the last 20 odd years in my career, coming through um, developing multiple multinational companies and then working with other executive, executives and their teams to really explore all the different dynamics around transformation, whether that be digital and also cultural impacts and bringing people to a place where now we have transforming tribes where we can do that work with them around taking their teams on journeys to be able to unlearn and relearn what they know about themselves, each other and their relationship to the more than human in the world, which is something that I'm sure we'll explore more today too. Thank you. And Carly, what's your background? I come from um, a, a management consulting background, so I've had lots of experience working with lots of large, you know, big four uh, management consulting firms. So um, the work that I've done and I've naturally, you know, orbed to is uh, around the leadership and culture space and how do leaders create uh, experiences and, and redesign work that connects people to, you know, something meaningful because through that you get business results. So. The work that I've done is 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 in that space, um, helping to unlock performance, but through this this willingness and, and desire to want to do things rather than we're going to come up with a whole bunch of rules and processes that you know we know just just turn people right off. So um, the last two years, uh, Kat and I have been working on the, the the idea behind our business, and um, yeah, we're we're really happy to be launching it finally this year. But but the ideas and the um, the experiences we bring in are, are very old and we've been having lots and lots of, you know, philosophical debates at all times of the night about uh, about the work that we do now. So thank you so much for having us today as well. Our pleasure. So let's dive into that a bit more. Um, Carly, what was it that made you decide that this was the right time and place to launch Transforming Tribes as a business? So both Kat and I, I think, uh, are products of the, the great resignation, um, you know, during COVID and, and, and probably before that, feeling really deeply disconnected in our workplaces and, and the experiences that were being provided for our workplaces and, and not, not feeling like we were empowered to, to really, um, you know, connect in with, with what was important to us. So we made deliberate decisions to, to go out and to try something new and probably in the riskiest time as well, you know, so much uncertainty with, with COVID, especially um, job security, but, you know, the drive to connect and the drive to do something that was meaningful was, was much greater. So, you know, while we've, we've probably had lots of sleepless nights and anxiety around, you know, what's coming next and, and where are we going and will this work? Um, 
it has all been driven from this this passion to to connect in and, and to feel something meaningful um you know in in our work lives which you know actually become our life absolutely and do you think that drive to connect or that needing to connect has been magnified because of the last two years? Do you feel that that's broken down some of the barriers when you're talking to organisations and the, the education piece on the need for human connection has actually been happened because of the last two years, because of COVID and lockdowns and isolation? Absolutely. I think, you know, with COVID, we're all given permission to, to isolate and to really, you know, help connect in with ourselves. And we've all reassessed what, what's a meaningful work life look like and what do meaningful relationships with, with things like purpose look like. And, you know, I think we, we proved to the world, everybody proves that you can still get work done while you have this, you know, beautiful, messy life happening around you. And we don't need to follow the structures and the processes that, um, you know, we thought we always did to, to get results and performance. We, we definitely uh, we definitely proved that there are lots of different ways and, um, and and better ways that we can set up our our lives to to get the most out of to get the most out of our careers and our and our performance. So, yeah, I absolutely do think it's pressure tested. Um, you know, the way that we uh, you know what what we expect now from our our working relationships and our working lives. Just going to put this on Kat I'm going to come to you about learning and re- unlearning relearning <laughs> uh and look a really interesting point that Carly just raised then too you know because it yes our experiences come from that great resignation and then we've all dove straight into the COVID experience or the COVID experiment together of, of mass isolation working remotely um but I think what we've also has really struck a chord for us and, the, and going back to back your question about the timing as well um, really ties into that too of why now for transforming tribes is very much because we're finding that our experience is the same as everybody else's in that respect and the war on talent really isn't because a whole bunch of people resigned the war on talent is really happening because a whole bunch of people have realized that if they don't have purpose place meaning and belonging within one of the facets of their life they spend so much of their lifetime what is the point of living? <laughs> and so we've watched en masse millions and millions and millions and millions of people walk out of the jobs that they had to find something that could resonate better with them for that experience of belonging, place and meaning. Um, and, and now we're in this situation where the hybrid workforce, the remote workforce is enabling really a recruiter to find someone for for that role anywhere in the world Um, the race is on to see which organizations are actually capable of tapping into and unlocking that kind of feeling within their employees so that's it's it's about the employee finding that meaning and purpose to fight behind their you know how they spend their days their work and is that what you were referring to when you mentioned unlearning and relearning? Is this part of this sort of internal education that we're going through? Carly, did you want to speak into that? Yeah. So, you know, the unlearning, relearning, how we like to think about it is 
we have so many um, assumptions and beliefs that we hold on to. You know, we think that, you know, X plus Y equals Z. And, you know, so when we, re when we learn new things, we're constantly processing, you know, against those old assumptions and those old principles, unless we change some of that. And I think, you know, that's starting to emerge, things that we thought were certain and, and we definitely knew before. We've actually been able to, to test that now. And, and we're finding that, you know, there are, there are, that's no longer serving us well to think, to believe those things. So when we talk about culture work and, and, and especially working with leaders to unlock experiences for people in the workplace to connect them in, it's really trying to challenge those underlying assumptions and beliefs. We need to unlearn some of those things that we've always held on to as, as certain and known and, and principles. Um, to be able to unlock, you know, the capacity for this new learning, which which is playing out in front of us, and to really kind of comprehend why that's happening, we're really having to unpick some of those those outdated theories and principles that just no longer serve us well. And that also applies as well. Carly and I were only having this conversation the other day um, with respect to some other work that we're we're doing at the moment. But that applies as well to how organisations are approaching um, their retention and attraction strategies for roles um, you know when we're talking about the the metrics that are used to value people in a position you know how does an employee or what does an employee see as being valuable when looking for a role and also what does an employee find is valuable when choosing to stay in a role are very very different things and organizations in the past have been very um, focused on the price metric. How much will I pay you? What can I get, give you? Um, and, uh, and is that more than what you got last time? <laughs> yeah. And whilst that is a great metric in some respects, it also completely misses the point of, um, of what we actually would be capable of instead of trying to hike up salaries to attract more people what if we actually spent that time and that money in investing in our people to help them have those lived experiences with each other and also to be able to connect deeper with themselves so that they're learning new things about themselves and in doing so bringing more value to teams that they work in um, what would happen if we actually started valuing retention more than attraction in our workplaces and I know Carly you know this is something you're quite passionate about too <laughs> so I'm not going to steal your thunder and talk too much more into that I reckon you've got a few more bits of gold you can say about that <laughs> uh yeah I, we were laughing about this the other day weren't we this this over focus on attraction and, and trying to get the best and then what do you do when you've got them sorry I've just had my headphones pop out what do you do with the people when you've actually got them in the door and they've their their talent? They've got opportunities landing, you know, flipping into their their uh, LinkedIn inboxes every day. So um, unless we start to think about what is a meaningful experience, and and yes, those experiences change from person to person, but there is so much commonality in what people find meaning in, and it, and it is around, you know, how do we connect as a, as people? Not not interact, you know. We, we see a lot of organizations taking steps to increase interaction, more meetings, more, more together time, more this. And that doesn't necessarily translate to connection is what we're finding. Um, you know, you ask people, how often do you leave a meeting where you feel connected or energized by the people you've just been around and you've had the space to, to really connect in it? And, you know, sometimes it's not sitting there get moving, you know, from agenda item to agenda item. It's just holding space as humans to have conversations about issues that are that are front of mind or you know sometimes the, the back of your mind but um 
how do you how do you find and unlock those experiences for people um, so they are connecting in and, and not just interacting more, which is I think another symptom of what we're we're seeing in in a lot of burnout. People are being expected to show up more because we're so afraid that you know virtually we're not connecting as much, so it's translated just into more meetings and and you know back to back almost every day. Where are we connecting? You know, in that day. I, mean, I love. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. No, you go, Kat. No, I, I was just going to say. Um, and Carly, please correct me if I'm wrong, but the statistics on that have been astounding. Uh, with respect to the diagnostic we've done with the organisations we work with, you know, they're very close to the broad spectrum of statistics out there. I think it's like two thirds of our workforce are experiencing burnout at the moment. Um, we have almost 80% of our workforce experiencing some form of mental illness, whether that be depression, anxiety, major stress. Um, and we're not, I, I feel like there is such a, a potential for us to be able to help not only organizations support their individual employees through, but then how do we actually foster things like collective resilience and collective consciousness? And how do we draw on and um, uh, understand all of the resources and all of the, inter the value in the interactions that we can possibly have with each other if we're also not enabling our, our staff to understand deeply their own self and the, their own value. And that's really, I think, where that connection piece comes into it because when we go beyond that we, and, we, and we look at what drives connection, we then have to start asking harder questions about what does belonging mean because we can't connect to that which we don't feel accepted by. <laughs> um, and so that opens up, you know, uh, more and more layers to that conversation as well when we start drilling into what creates a workplace culture where people feel that they can belong. Many times it's about us helping people as individuals to understand what that sense of belonging feels like in the first place. And so that's where a lot of our lived experiences that we work with, with Transforming Tribes comes from, is connecting people back to land, helping them to build a relationship with country, helping them to deeply understand what it means to feel held in, an, in by Mother Earth, uh, you know, giving them those opportunities to use the more than human elements of their world to help them understand how interconnected we all are as a people, as a community and as an organisation as well. I really want to delve into what the work you're doing at Transforming Tribes. And just before I do, it really struck me when you're saying the interaction, you know, there's a big push at the moment for some companies forcing people back into the office to try and get people to interact. But what I'm hearing you say is actually it's not necessarily the interaction that's going to drive change or value to the organization. It's the connection. So you can have interaction, but without connection. And that comes from deeper. And then beyond connection, you've got that conscious, you mentioned it, sort of that consciousness and the belonging. So actually, you know, it's almost like clients are, are not looking far enough ahead into the individual drivers um, and that belonging, which is, so you potentially you could have a real amazing culture where there is a sense of connection and belonging that's completely remote. Absolutely. 
Absolutely right. I think, um, you know, sometimes we use the, the barriers in front of us as an excuse not to focus on the problem. So it's virtual. We're not going to feel connected in a virtual environment. Um, I think I think that's absolutely false. I think we can create connection, meaningful connection in any environment. Obviously, you have to tailor how, how you do those things, but there's a heavy lift here on on leadership. Um, you know, I, I work with a, we work with a lot of organisations and hearing the same thing, leaders expecting people back in the office. And, you know, we've got to go back to, to how things were before. Um, you know, we want we can control people that way. We, can, we know that they're working. We know what control. they're working on. Mm. which is the interesting metric right is is does control lead to a um healthy productive engaged workforce because what we had before I I would argue we didn't necessarily have engaged people Mm. so whether we go back to what we had before or a virtual world that we have now we you know what you're talking about is actually moving beyond interaction to connection and really belonging exactly And, and where you have control I would be, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be challenging organisations to say, are you driving connection in, in a controlled environment? Are you really setting up the environment for connection um, when the driver for that is, is a, a sense of control? And, and to be honest, control is, um, is always false. We think because we can see something that that's control. Um, and, and, you know, exactly as you just put it, have you ever really had control? Were we getting the top performance when you could see people in the office and you knew what you knew where they were sitting and who they were interacting with? Not really. But it makes us feel better as, as humans. You know, if we can see something and we can we can say we've observed it. Yes. OK, we feel a lot better. But, um, you know, trust, trust is a huge, you know, um, amplifier of connection um leaders approach you know, not just leaders you know I think in a culture kind of sense every single person is is a leader because everybody's empowered to drive a culture experience that that connects you know that helps somebody connect or you connect in with somebody um but you know trust and showing up with you know with positive intent right we understand everybody is coming to work every day trying to do their best and for whatever reason sometimes things get in the way of that but it's never intentional I I really don't believe that people show up trying to do the wrong thing and therefore everybody needs to be controlled and have rules that say you know do the right thing Um, I, I, I don't believe that whatsoever um, so, you know, it, it's a huge, it's a huge thing for people when they get treated with trust. I don't need to tell you rules. You don't need to know, you know, the rules here. You've got good judgment and, you know, you can make the right decisions. I mean, have, giving people, um, you know, having, having experiences with people like that, they will always do what's right to keep the responsibility and the trust. You put rules on people and all of a sudden, um, you know, it doesn't matter if that rule gets broken. I, I don't really mind. But if you've got somebody's trust, um, you're going to do everything in your power to keep that trust. And that the, the trust and psychological safety go hand in hand, don't they? And we talk about psychological safety a lot at TRIO, you know, creating safe spaces where people can show up as themselves. Kate, can you talk us a little bit more? I loved what you were saying around, you know, the connection to self and to land have you got anything to add on to that that Kai's talked about or you know what I'd love to find out is but more about you know how does Transforming Tribe really create that connection and belonging what are you doing with organizations and their people to create that oh well a really great question Beck and I feel like it's almost a um 
it's a hybrid between an extension of what Carly was just talking about and uh, the question that you've just given me that really uh, speaks into that, uh, you know, when we talk about, and control's a really great example, um, but there's a really positive side to control too. And this is where the work with transforming tribes is really valuable. It gives us a really great use case and example um, because the way that we would vision control from leadership, uh, first and foremost, where has that come from? Ordinarily, it's come from investors or shareholder responsibilities and it's been translated, those responsibilities have been translated by leadership to meaning this is what they must do in order for them to achieve what they need to achieve. So again, but going back to what Carly was saying about um, it's not that people show up to work to do the wrong thing. I don't believe either that our leaders are showing up because they want control because anyone who has to exert that kind of control is ordinarily quite stressed out, very stressed out and probably doesn't want that responsibility of always having to be on people's backs, right? And so we have to look at control and if they're very good at exerting control as a leader, guess what? They're a really great leader, but they're just using the shadow aspect of their leadership style. And, the, and really that's where the answer to transforming tribes um, and, and how we can help organisations through that process. Um, you know, depending, we, we help organisations from an individual perspective, from a team perspective, from an organisation perspective. And then when we've worked with teams to a point where their organisation is on that journey and have been fully initiated into the process, um, we then start exploring how does that organisation connect into community and then the planet and making impact. Um, but to take it to the first step of that it, and, and to apply it to the example of a leader who is, has fully stepped into their shadow leadership style and is, and is fully exerting control, um, we work with organisations where there is that kind of leadership dynamic to help them unpack where those drivers have come from and also how do we step into the light aspects of that, which are more trust and developing because they're very good at engaging their, their employees. Their employees are engaged at that point and connected to the metric of I must show up on time, <laughs> the metric of I'm, I'm only allowed X amount of time for lunch, the metric of if I don't do this, my job's on the line, you know. So, the, so we they have proven they're very good at engaging and getting a result from their employees. It's about helping them to, as, as Carly said before, unlearn those processes mm -hmm. um, and explore the other side of that because a leader who is capable of... Um, addressing the, the mechanisms and the, I guess, dynamics within their work life and within themselves that, make, that possibly make them feel like they cannot trust when those things are addressed and, and also within the leadership teams, we're then in a very, very different position um, because a leader who can trust is then one that is far more relaxed, um, <laughs> but also far more likely to connect and in connecting far more likely to make impact long-term with their team. So uh, it really is a, and, that, and that's a top-down example, but then the, the flip side of that is what, what kind of um, dynamics emerge from a team in a bottom-up aspect when those things happen, really beautiful things happen. We start seeing collective resilience. We start seeing collaboration on a, on a, on a much higher level because people feel safe to show up. 
as all themselves. So they don't have to speak just into a skill set that they've been hired for. They can speak into all the talents that they have, which then enables them to be seen by their peers as really valuable and really exciting to be around. Um, and when those kinds of dynamics are flying around and that kind of energy change happens in a culture, we start seeing creativity, we start seeing innovation, we start seeing growth, and yes, then we start seeing profit. But profit is the byproduct and not the goal. And that is really the difference between the control and trust mechanism um, when that switch is flipped. And that's really, you know, one of the things that, that we can do and we can support organisations through um, as one example. When you talk about control and trust, I have this image of a butterfly. One is caged and one is out in nature flying, like wings free. And I just feel like if organisations could come over to here, imagine what expansion you're creating for your people because they are uncaged. Mm. And the growth and the creativity which naturally, as you say, affects the bottom line. But, out, you know, when we look at great resonation or the talent or loyalty, like the, just the ability to expand as an individual, which I'm guessing would lend into connection, belonging, purpose, meaning, to stay in that organisation because you have that space to grow, you know, mm -hmm. it, it just seems crazy to me that we're, you know, have been so driven to cage people and, mm -hmm. you know, almost like robots. So what is the work you do? To, like, how do we get organisations to change? What experiences do people have when they work with you? You talk about land. What does this look like? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think all the organisations we're working with are trying to kind of flip the switch, right, from we've been set up to be individualistic. You know, it, it worked when we're, you know, in a factory model, we were able to break down work and, and manage it through. And it served us well to this point, right? We, we, we've all, all organisations have become very successful setting themselves up that way. Um, but now what organisations are trying to do is flip the switch from individualistic to kind of a more collective pro-social cultural profile. Um, and, and when we look at individuals as, you know, as just symptomatic of that system, right? So, you know, the way that we incentivize people, the way that we look at performance, it's all about the individual. We don't look at how they contribute to, to teams and communities in the organization. We don't look at community or team goals very often. Um, you know, and we also reward people for making very individualistic choices still. And our whole EVP is structured around rewards that still, you know, drive ego and, and incentivize the ego. So, you know, when we're asking people to change, these are big changes because we're not rewarded for them. We're not incentivized for them. And nobody gives us a pat on the back when we do start to, to perform in those ways. So, you know, there is a, there is a system, you know, um, challenge in all of this as well. So when we work with organizations, we try to help leaders, you know, leaders in the system, leaders are smarter than the system. Leaders also own the system. They can change the system. So you start with leaders by saying, here, let's pick, up, let's pick apart where some of these um, structural barriers are and let's work with you to understand how you can redesign your systems to get these, these cultural characteristics that you say you want, you know, collaboration, innovation, creativity, um, you know, and then there is a very tangible 
uh, people element to it, bringing people together to, to create new experiences and to, um, you know, start to unlearn, uh, you know, some of those, those old outdated assumptions that we just no longer need anymore and start to help teams really exercise new skills, which are, you know, uh, quite confronting. We like to say our work is, is hot, but it needs to be. Um, you know, if it's, if it's too cool and it, it might be interesting, just validates what people already know, uh, it doesn't change anything. So, so we like to say that the work we do, it, it has to be uncomfortable because humans, we are uncomfortable in change. But if it is uncomfortable, it's a cue that it's working. So, so we do like to kind of set expectations that it's not for the faint-hearted, you know, culture change, um, in, in, you know, especially the work that we do. Um, it, it's definitely not for the faint-hearted, but, but if you're up for it, we're here to, we're here to work with you. Cat. Yeah, uh, look, I mean, I love hearing Carly talk about it all too. It gets me so far. <laughs> <laughs> always the point I've lost my train of thought but um, I guess to build on that as well and something we haven't mentioned is the tagline of our company or I guess our motto is ancient wisdom meets modern science amplified by extreme connection um, and one of the reasons that Carly and I came together was because of our meeting of the minds um, we both have the background with respect to transforming organizations and helping them take those those opportunities to really take some take stock of what's going on and to have moments of deep reflection etc um, we've also done a lot of personal work ourselves in that respect too so we're living eating and breathing examples of what it means to be completely imperfect uh, but also um, celebrate those imperfections and the rest of the, the whole the whole person as well uh, and look I mean and myself personally the last few years I've been on a journey to be initiated into a, a number of Indigenous North American and South American tribes um, and that's become a really big part of our work and Carly coming on that journey with me, um, you know, because we have to also take stock and look back to look forward at times. We, we can't ignore um, and why I'm so excited about all the shift that's happening in the Australian constitution at the moment with, with our Indigenous um, Aboriginals finally being recognised in our constitution. We cannot ignore the fact that the Aboriginals of Australia are considered to be one of the most advanced civilizations on the face of this planet. They got so much right about planetary stewardship and about how tribes function, as did our other Indigenous tribes. You know, we have so much that we can learn from the ways in which tribes operated and the village that they, were, that they, that they drew from in order to survive some of the most crazy experiences. I mean, we're in houses, they were in friggin' straw huts. <laughs> um, and they still managed to survive these eons and they still had to have collaborative leadership and they had to have mechanisms within their social functions and 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 many times they were incredibly complex and so a lot of what we do as well is, and, and a lot of what makes our work hot is helping people to understand how to actually take on board different ancient wisdoms through um, initiation processes through connecting back to land, through having experience, lived experiences on earth that involve connecting in with more Indigenous and um, ancient wisdoms that enable that insight and create that space where silence can be a medicine, where 
um, shadow can be welcomed, um, where we can get comfortable with all the imperfections of ourselves and each other and still celebrate each other instead of tearing ourselves down because of that. And these are the experiences when you put a team together and they share a lived experience like that, that's what creates collective resilience. It creates trust, it creates connection. Um, and it also creates a whole new dynamic because each of your team members are learning so many new things about themselves and increasing in confidence and increasing in their own ability to have um, connection with, with their own being and their own purpose. So it's really powerful in our eyes. That sort of word hot and that the discussion around being uncomfortable and that's where the growth is, you know, I guess it's like you need to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then when you're having those collective experiences of uncomfortableness, I'm guessing that's where the real gems of collective resilience comes, cooperation, growth, connection. Is that, am I understanding it right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think like we just mentioned before, having interesting things, which I think, you know, in the in the workplace where we're prone to hearing things, new ideas that sound really great um, and it sparks our curiosity a little bit and then we go away and we do nothing about it. Um, you know, getting uh, teams to collectively experience discomfort and to help, you know, they, they start to self-organise around how they support each other through that discomfort. And they start to, you know, forego all these individualistic characteristics and traits that, you know, they're just not going to serve you well while you're uncomfortable when you're working with your team. So, you know, the work we like to do um, is, is helping teams experience that together and you know through these experiences like you've mentioned Kat the um the collective resilience that, that emerges and, and the trust bonds that can be accelerated so rapidly because the team has experienced something uncomfortable and um you know vulnerability is, is a big kind of emotion that we like to work with as well just you know the the um shifts in dynamics and the the rapid building of trust that you can get from, you know, not demonstrating vulnerability, but actually being vulnerable with it, with a team uh, is phenomenal. Um, and so we kind of look to, to create experiences around some of those really transformative, you know, emotions that we like to, to weave in vulnerability, gratitude, you know, another has another profound effect on, on teams and dynamics. So, um, and that's where our meeting of the minds, you know, the, the ancient wisdom knew all of this, you know, ancient tribes knew all of this. Um, we have now modern science to give us a, a language and a way of studying it and a way of understanding it, but you, you blend them together and there's something really, uh, really powerful in this for, for organisations. So would you go into an organisation at the top, take the leadership team through an experience where they're getting uncomfortable and then they get the, the outcome of all of those benefits and then would it trickle down? Because I guess once you start at the top, then you can really shift the dynamic of how an, the organisational culture can start to change. Yeah. Um, so we like to we like to work with leadership teams only, you know, and not only. Uh, we, we like to work with lots of different teams. Like I said before, we think that lots, you know, anybody can be a leader in the experience and, and the culture space. Um, 
But I guess where you're working with leadership teams, first of all, you've got the, the behavioral contagion effect, right? People subconsciously start to adopt the behaviors and the, the mannerisms of people they see in authority. So we think that that can help be a really big driver when it comes to, to changing culture and changing behavior. If you look up and you see the leaders doing something different, it gives you the permission to step into that space. Um, but also, you know, working with any team that can create a bit of a swell. So we're trying to tip the, the equilibrium, I guess, to, to more the, the pro-social collective side, the collective ways of working. So um, if we can work with teams where, you know, this work, when you, when you do it well, people actually have fun, right? They, they love it, you know, and the, the effects are so great that it just becomes, you know, um, it just becomes contagious after a while. People don't want to be you know, working in their cubicle, passing things down the line. They want to see what this is all about. So it's about, you know, driving these experiences that become contagious because people are so curious and, and willing to opt into it rather than here's a program, you've all got to go through it and, uh, and then we're going to get the effects of all these, you know, beautiful things we've talked about um, by the end of that program. So we were just having a conversation before about how natural and organic this needs to be in organisations. So there are no um no step-by-step -step program that's going to get you there um and there's no i guess you know kind of um structured way that we get there either it's it, there's no formula in terms of working with the top and you, and you get the results at the bottom and and also there's no um just to add, add to what carly was just saying there's no designate there's no uh beginning and no de designation point uh self-evolution is something that is a continual process forever and ever and and we're firm believers that an ecosystem can always become more richer can always have more um more dynamics and more collaborative processes and and more benefits come from it so it's not really an end point um that we have with organizations and we don't really where we start is not really in a descriptive defined um spot either uh, we like to say that we like to meet people where they're at and that kindness and being really gentle is part of our values as a company because we understand that comfort zone is not is a wonderful thing but nothing ever grows there but also everyone has a different one. <laughs> and yeah. so just as we are individual in so, in so many other ways, we're also individual in what is an edge that we're pushing up against. And so our, our, our um, processes and the lived experiences and the different journeys that we take organisations on are really designed or defined by where are we beginning and where is the start for this organisation and these individuals? Um, are we dropping in at the bend in a river? <laughs> and cruising along with a nice, easy flowing current? Or is there appetite more for the rapids? And we're gonna go for a bit of a bumpy ride, but we're gonna get a lot done very fast. Um, you know, I, either or, no matter where you start, there are always going to be some rapids on the journey and some really cruisy flowing bits as well. Okay. But we, we like to feel that um, we're able to help people begin that journey in that space where they're just at an edge where it feels exciting and, the, and curiosity is, um, is nurtured as opposed to, I'm so freaked out, I'm not gonna do any of this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that's really, a, if we can maintain that edge with organizations, that's really what we work towards. And we flow in a way with them, as Carly said, where there's no, no plan per se, um, the destination is simply that we're helping them continually to evolve. 
You're talking about the comfort zone there and and the edge. And obviously there is no growth in a comfort zone, right? But if you if organizations were able to take their people through experiences that push them to the edge and then push them beyond, imagine the exposure of actually the people and their capability that you would suddenly recognize, which you would have had no visibility of before because you've kept people in these cages or kept them within their comfort zone, whether that's individual or collectively as an organization. So I guess the real value is finding that edge. And as you're, I'm hearing Kat, as you're saying that edge is different for everyone. It is. And look, so people will have very, very different appetites for that. Um, you know, the rites of passage that I've been through to become a guide of some of these processes um, <laughs> are extremely confronting <laughs> uh, and probably were, would not be, ha- probably there will be a lot of people that won't have the appetite for that. Uh, but the the flip side to those experiences is what they unlock in someone. Sometimes it, the experience itself is so confronting that it actually unlocks your ability to believe you can do anything when you've actually um, allowed yourself to have that space. Um, And so, you know, there are organisations, there are people we work with that love that and we are there with them and we can take them all that way. But then also um, there are other organisations that would rather tiptoe towards a different form of edge in their organisation and are not nowhere near wanting to explore that. And that is totally fine because both are on journeys, both are evolving. There is no rule book about self-evolution or about the evolution of a company culture. It's mm-hmm. simply what are we developing an ecosystem that is supportive that fosters growth, that nourishes all of the kinds of components that we know to be uh, deeply good for, 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 for our own individual selves and for a broader collective. Are those processes becoming contagious? What do we see when those processes exist? Um, and obviously the byproducts are there because it doesn't take a genius to figure out that a really happy whole human being in a workplace is going to be more productive than one that's not. Mm. And beyond that, um, sorry, Carla, you go. I was just going to say, um, you know, some of the things, I guess, our intent with a lot of organisations is to really help them find the latent capability. Mm. And I think, you know, a kind of a really cute way to circle back to, to the um, start of this conversation around attraction and retention we're usually trying to search for ways where we can attract in capability, um, you know, to fill capability gaps that we think we have. Whereas if we focus some of that attention onto unlocking latent capability, capability that we don't know we have, or we just haven't created the environment for that to really come out, you'll find that those gaps become far less great, you know, and, and you can actually fill a lot of those gaps with what you've already got, either in, in people or the beautiful blend of people and technology, you know, is what we find. Um, a lot of organizational transformations now are focused on technology to close a lot of a, a lot of capability gaps. Um, and what we find are the humans who have to operate that technology turn all of that technology turn all of that capability off uh, because they're afraid, you know, because they haven't been set up in the right environment to really kind of integrate and, and blend with that. So when we talk about transforming tribes, we're not talking about just the human tribes either. It's transforming tribes with 
with people, technology, everything that that is in a modern tribe now, um, you know, to really, really unlock capability. And, you know, there's there's a finite amount of talent and and skills and, and resources out there. So how do we make the most of what we've got um, by looking at the, you know, the important things and um and not just trying to find the new all the time? Mm. I love this because everything you're saying makes me feel what an amazing human is going to come out of this experience. And not only is that human going to have such a massive impact in their workplace, but imagine the impact that they're going to then be walking around with at home and in their community as a whole. Like that collective expansion and sort of raising of consciousness will have such a powerful impact that goes way beyond the individual in the organization, but just has this incredible ripple effect out into the community. Totally. I totally agree with that. And, uh, you know, with all the global grand challenges that we're facing now, these convergent crises that just keep building one on top of the other and accelerating each other in that process, the one thing that we do have that we do and can do very, very well is exactly what you've just mentioned there, Beck. And I feel so many organisations are now making sustainability values and things to speak into the grand challenges, the core values of their businesses if we're going to actually address those things and organisations are really truly going to make an impact on those things without it being just a really nice thing, fluffy thing to try and uh, make make a bit of feel-good energy, if they're truly serious about that, then our first step has to be to have humans that have the ability to make that kind of impact, which is this kind of work. So it's really exciting for us. Um, yeah, definitely gets us out of bed every morning and, and we could talk your ear off for hours on the subject, guarantee. <laughs> I could talk about this for hours. It's amazing. I sincerely hope that organisations jump on the bandwagon because I can see such an incredible impact to the world at large from the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for sharing just a snippet of what you're doing and the change that you're creating. It's been amazing talking to you both. Thank you so much. Thank for you the time so much. <laughs> Thank you.